This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. Today's show is a little bit different than our usual routine. We're going to be speaking with Sharon Carlson, who I consider a Curious Minnesota superfan. Sharon has been submitting questions since just after we launched this column in 2019. So far, we've answered eight of them, ranging from Minnesota's daycare costs to the state's wolf population. She has a knack for asking questions that are Minnesota-focused, have an interesting answer, and would appeal to a pretty broad audience. So we asked her to join us on the podcast to discuss some of her favorites. Here's my conversation with Sharon. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for joining us today. So I, I wanted to have you on the show because you are sort of our curious Minnesota super fan. You've asked more questions, I think, than anybody. But you've also had many of your questions, eight questions answered. And I think that you really know how to ask a great curious Minnesota question. So we're going to go into some of the best of those questions today. But first, let's talk a little bit about your background. I know you're from Andover, and we've learned a little bit about your story through some of these questions. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, Eric. I really appreciate being up here in Andover. It gives me inspiration, the trees and the lakes and the bike paths and all that. But that kind of inspiration has triggered a lot of curiosity in me. I'm the curiosity queen. <laughs> and uh, so, but I have always liked speech communications. I graduated in, in speech communications. And then I have come up with a little public access TV show called Chit Chat, where mm -hmm. I interview movers and shakers in the local area. Generally, it's the northeast quadrant of the metro. And I'm also a, a huge fan of the Star Tribune. Just uh, reading the Star Tribune has also given me a, a ton of ideas. So One thing that I think is consistent among your questions is that each one is either sort of like interesting on its face, the kind of thing that if you told it to someone in a conversation, they would sort of perk up, but also that it has some sort of story to it. Generally, a lot of these, there is like a tale in a lot of them, or there's some mm -hmm. interesting characters characters in them. There's something you could really build a story around. Whereas sometimes people ask about dates or like really specific things that have a very simple answer. And these are a little bit mm -hmm. more complex and it's a fun story to read. <laughs> Spe speaking of which, you asked one the other day that the moment I saw the question, before I saw your name on it, I knew we had to do this question, which was, does Minnesota have any cryonics facilities? And these are places where people are stored in long-term, basically uh, freezing units. I mean, they're freezers essentially to be reanimated potentially at a future date. And, you know, I've heard about cryonics in the past and it's a theme of Hollywood and whatever, but I wanted to know the answer too. What kind of got you interested in that? Well, a long time ago, my uh, parents didn't really allow us to watch any television, but I have three brothers and they kind of dominated the TV. And my parents said, okay, one hour a day and it was Star Trek. So then I became kind of a science fiction fan. And then through the years, and as I age, I'm actually kind of going through the third stage of life and really looking at this whole mortality business and wondering about that. It just seems always strange to exist and then to not exist. And I thought, well, maybe there's another way around all this. Right. But I, I was just thinking, what has happened with cryonics in the last you know, 50 years since they did talk about it back then? Right. And so it just intrigued me. And then on the, one of the comments online, an individual said, look, 
once is enough. <laughs> One life is enough. So I, I do think about that. John Ryan, who who has been on this podcast before, we may have to do a podcast episode just based on that because it's a fat. The answer yeah. is fascinating. The answer is no. There are not chronic facilities in Minnesota, and yet there's this like dedicated crew of people who have really devoted their lives to ensuring that people can get frozen, which mm-hmm. involves some pretty immediate stuff that happens when you die, where people have to launch into action to get you literally on ice. So yes. uh, we're going to have to have John on the podcast to talk about that story because I thought that it was really fun. fascinating. That would be really fun. So another one that kind of tells us a little bit about Sharon is you asked about what was the most destructive tornado in Minnesota history? Now, you actually lived through this tornado. This is in Fridley in 1965, except you were living in Columbia Heights, right? Yes, we were nearby, just basically over the border. And I do recall my parents kind of panicking upstairs, opening up all the windows while I was riding my tricycle down the basement with my brothers. And it was a a doozy of a tornado. And then we drove by and Fridley to see all the houses just destroyed off of um, Mississippi Street. And, you know, this was the place that we moved to several blocks from Mississippi Street about like a week later. Mm -hmm. We were living in Fridley and dealing with all of the uh, smashed houses. And I was going to kindergarten. I had to go to the kindergarten and junior high at at the Fridley Junior High rather than an elementary school. And so it looked absolutely horrifying as a child. Right. Uh, And and the answer to the question was that, yes, that that is considered the most destructive in state history. It's also it ties into another curious Minnesota question about air raid sirens. That was the first time that the sort of sirens that had been installed for Mm. a Soviet attack were used for a weather-related emergency, and now we know them as tornado sirens. So it's kind of Mm -hmm. funny that it all started with that. You asked another question about why is Minnesota the only mainland state with an abundance of wolves? Now, this ties into another personal aspect of your life, right? Because your father researched wolves? Yes, um, he's still researching wolves, writing books. Both my parents are from New York. And so the reason I'm here in Minnesota is that this was the only state that had an abundance of wolves. But it still got me wondering, why is that? I know that we have like this dip in, in cold weather that comes right down through Minnesota. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know if it was the cold. I mean, certainly I could have asked my dad, but I think it's the cold that maybe that's the reason that the wolves are in Minnesota. I know that there's been some in Montana and Wisconsin, but mainly it is Minnesota. So one that I that was really popular, it hadn't really even occurred to me. And you asked this question is how did St. Cloud get its name? And I guess it makes sense, right? Like we know of other saints and yet what is St. Cloud, right? And so this kind of had an interesting answer. It had to do with France, I guess. Yeah, basically, it was like an inside joke with these guys in the 1850s. One had hired these Frenchmen to paint a fence and had been reading about Napoleon's wife. He'd been reading about this in a book that Napoleon's wife had stayed in Saint-Cloud outside of Paris. And then he would ask these painters, how are things going in in Saint-Cloud? And it's like Mm -hmm. this turns into the name of of the city after all these years. Yes, I've never read anywhere about a St. Cloud. So I thought, where on earth did that come from? Yeah. 
Well, and it was very popular. I think other people probably had the same question. You asked another popular one about why was the career, this is, I'm just reading the headline of the story now, but why was the career of Minnesota's first congresswoman cut short? And I mm-hmm. didn't know this history that we had a, a female congressperson in Minnesota in the 1950s, and we didn't have another one until Betty McCollum in 2001. Mm-hmm. But the sort of end of her career was very unusual. We'll have links to all these stories in the show notes, but but, I mean, it was just sort of a fa- Did you know this tale when you asked this question? Well, I, uh, Laurie Sturdivant had a little lecture at the Rum River Library, and there's a book called Koya Come Home. And so I learned a little bit about that, but not complete knowledge, but something about her husband wanting her to come home and end her career or something. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, how would that go over today? Probably not, not really good. But anyway, as sad, tragic that she had to end her career because of her husband. Right. Well, basically, it sounds like from research that's been done into this incident that the local DFL sort of wrote these letters, at least this is what was testified later. And then this husband, he ended up signing the letters. And I'll just quote from one of them here. These letters were published, although the story doesn't say where they were published. But uh, it says, Koya, I want you to tell the people of the Ninth District that you are through in politics. As your husband, I compel you to do this. I'm sick and tired of having you run around with other men all the time and not your husband. And this sort of ends her political career ultimately. I mean, it was just sort of, it was such a sad story of the Mm -hmm. end of her career and that we don't really, I didn't know her name, right? I mean, like we Mm -hmm. kind of forgot, I don't know, maybe we didn't, we didn't forget about Koya, but I didn't, uh, Miss Knutson, but I didn't remember this story. Yes. You know, sadly, that kind of thing can still go on today where husbands get a little bit upset with their wives, you know, away from the family and all of that. But um, they are serving a purpose. So right, and maybe uh, it's just not as public today, you know, or what have you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, You asked another important question, which is, what does it take to become a police officer in the state of Minnesota? What was interesting to you about the answer to this question? I mean, the answer gets into some of the details about, um, you know, like how people get licensed and who licenses them. But what was your big takeaway from this? Well, I know that they're trying to reform and try to change the, the police training. I was just surprised or actually curious about why it isn't across the board that the training across the United States isn't the same for each state. Mm-hmm. And so each state has their own way of training. And then there's some kind of video that sort of promotes maybe a more aggressive stance from the police department. And that I know is highly controversial. And they're weighing what does work uh, in terms of either having mental health staff attend mm-hmm. some of the uh, the police calls and which ones to have this staff attend uh, these police calls, what kind of training do these police get that sort of ensures that uh, tragedies don't happen? I know it's an ugly process to go through all this and police are highly valuable. Just very, we need them in our society. It's just that with the adrenaline that can happen during a crisis, too many awful things can happen. 
Right. So. And just the, the short answer, and I'll, uh, people can read the full story in the show notes, but you need a two or four-year post-secondary degree from a regionally accredited college or university, and you have to complete a board-approved uh, peace officer education program. And then you have to, to do that, you have to pass a psychological evaluation, a criminal history screening, and a medical screening, and a physical fitness test. So, but I will include a link in the notes to those. Sure. And then just the two other questions that we're, we're not going to get to today, but if people want to read them, they'll also be in the show notes is, are Minnesota's daycare costs really the highest in the nation? Which is a, a great question. I, it's like, I want to read it just saying that. <laughs> and yeah. why does Minnesota have one of the highest rates of volunteering in the country? So two great questions, but Sharon, thank you so much. Are there questions you've asked that we haven't answered that you're waiting, you're, <laughs> you're yeah. waiting for us to do? One of them I asked about St. Louis Park. I know that the Jewish community was originally in North Minneapolis, mm -hmm. and then they moved to St. Louis Park. And I don't know why that specific location. And yeah. then I had uh, just a day or two ago, another question that was really good that I cannot recall. I think it was, why do we have such something about newspapers, right? It was... Uh... Oh, yes. Why? Because they're, uh, why is the newspaper so well read up here? You know, the circulation is is near the, the highest uh, for the daily circulation. And then I heard that International Falls, they did reinstate or somebody else took over uh, this paper that went away because newspapers are going by the wayside through yeah. the years. And, and that's a crime, I think. And so it gets presented to you every day. It's a, not a form of entertainment. It is a form of education. And, you know, I'm just really excited, I guess, to have it rank so high in the nation. Right. Yeah. Well, it probably dovetails with just how civically oriented, you know, with our high voting and all those types of things sure. up here too, I imagine. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. Again, I, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. We've answered so many questions, but we couldn't have done these great stories without you asking these questions. So we're so happy that you asked them. Well, thank you so much, Eric. It was wonderful to talk. Okay, that's it for today's show. I wanted to circle back on the State Fair poll that some of you participated in a couple months ago. We had a three-way tie for the winner, and we're going to tackle all three on an upcoming episode of the podcast. The winning questions were, what is the oldest building in Minnesota? How did the Northwest Angle come about? And how big does a body of water need to be to qualify as a lake? So look out for that in the future. And as always, we appreciate hearing your feedback at curious at startribune.com. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.